Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here is an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Dylan Triplett. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. I met a girl last night, we went out for a good time. We went to a club about 18th and mine. She drank five quarts of beer and I just shook my head. She ordered five more quarts and jumped straight up and said, So good. I said, Oh, woman, I wonder how you could. She said, Well, take this table right here. It's right close to the bar. So the bartender won't have to just walk so far. Every five or ten minutes, she said, I gotta step around here. Every time she go out and come back, she want another quarter of beer and holler. Oh, 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 oh so good. I said, oh, baby, I wonder how you could
money's about gone. I only got ten dollars more, and I left it at home. I said, I've got to go. Is there any other thing you like? She said, I'll keep the table, Daddy, if you go home and hurry back. I said, No, no, you don't feel that good. She said,
triplet from his brand new release and we got dylan on the line right now hey dylan how you doing today i'm doing well how about yourself i'm doing pretty well now That's good. this That's is good. the first time you've come on our show and we always like to give our fans an opportunity to really get to know an artist and the best way to do that is through your journey how you got to where you are today so give us the story of Dylan Triplett. Alrighty, so um, it all started about age nine. I grew up um, pretty much in church, being pretty much that from K to nine. So from I guess whenever I was super young to about that age, and then uh, I did gospel for most of that time. So it was just me just listening to a bunch of that. I just really evolved myself in that. I was in choir and stuff in church, and you know that kind of kept me rolling. Uh, kept the gift going, and then I got to about uh, midway through my ninth year of life, and my stepdad and my grandmother started introducing me to blues and jazz and R&B and soul and funky, and it just started to actually collect in my brain, and I started to actually start to uh, memorize the music without even knowing. You know, the music that was music that I was hearing growing up as a kid that I thought. Maybe I should know this as a child. You know what I mean? The nine years old, I probably should know these things. Um, but it was a learning process, and it was something that was a building stone for where I am now. Um, so I was doing uh, a lot of that stuff. You see, my dad and singing Jackson 5 up until about 13, 14. And then my voice started dropping. And then I started listening to other artists um, like Donnie Hathaway and Stevie Wonder, and it adapted to my voice, and it just made me want to learn more. So my said that was kind of like, hey, he played saxophone, so he did jazz. He did a lot of other stuff. He played in the bands in St. Louis, and, you know, he had a lot of the people that I learned from growing up. And um, he was like, hey, I want you to learn this blues song. And it was B.B. King's Don't Answer the Door. And it was the first song that I had ever learned that was blues, that was like me intentionally learning it to perform it on stage. And um, it was awesome. It like connected with me way deeper than Soul did. And then it was, they all had a connection, but there was something about the blues that just stuck. And, and it stayed there. So um, I sang that around in some jam sessions and I, sat around and listened to other people sing different songs and different pieces of songs and doing medleys and stuff, and I started to soak it up. And the more and more I started to soak it up, it took me about two more years, and I learned an entire arsenal of blues music. And I played on piano because I played piano for most of my life. Um, and then um, I ended up singing background for a St. Louis um, vocalist. She's a, a legend on the St. Louis scene. Her name is Carolyn Mason. And I pretty much just learned the craft of what I was doing and learned how important it was and learned uh, um, everything that I needed to know about my voice and about how to adapt to the blues music. So from about 14 to 8, 16, I was singing with her and doing stuff with Marquise Knox. And, you know, we were just in and out, just doing blues stuff to sit in the jam sessions. And then after a while, they were like, yeah, you need your own band. So at 16, I started to work with my own band. And we were doing smaller gigs and everything like that. And then about age 18, it started to jump off like crazy. And the band that I had was very special to me because I did have family in the band. I had my brother who was, I think he was probably 
Mm, he's a couple years younger than me, so he's probably like 11 years old, playing in clubs and stuff with me, playing piano, because I taught him how to play everything. I was playing everything while I was singing, so I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Play with him, and um, that was awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed that, and I learned more and more music. And then I started to meander off on my own as a college student and do a different uh, genres of music, classical music. And I started to go on tour doing classical music and doing theater and stuff like that. And uh, about age 19 or 20, whenever I was done with college, I ended up starting to pick up on my own band. I actually got my own band and separated from my family and did my own thing again. I mean, here I am today, you know, I mean, three years later, it's like, it's a whole dream come true, you know, okay. it's something way more than I expected in my entire life. I was not expecting this. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about your new release. Uh, when you were putting this together, uh, what was your goal for this? My goal was to create something completely different from what everybody had heard all the time. You know, the same progression in blues music. You hear the same one, four, five change in the chord patterns and everything. And I wanted to do something that was completely unlike that specifically. So a lot of my music on that album has a different way of getting to a certain spot in the song. Or it has a different ending or it has a different beginning. Or there are different breaks than what it would normally be. You know, so it's like I started this project um, about three years ago age 19 no it was two years three two three years ago at age 19 i started and it was a process <laughs> i did not know what i was getting myself into going into it but it was like I, my eyes opened the more and more i started to get into the studio and understand what everything everything that was going on and you know the people that i was actually working with i didn't even know the level of the people that i was working with until after i started to get deeper and deeper into the studio so, um, yeah, it was, it was a crazy, a crazy situation. So, um, I just, I went in there and, you know, Larry's my producer, Larry Fulcher, plays for, uh, Taj Mahal and, and Ruthie Foster. He was like, okay, well, how do you want the music to be? And I was like, I want it to not sound like everything else. Do something completely different. Just do something that, that does not sound like that. So we did a, some progressions and, and the, Music and we were like, you know what? We could stick with this. This is something that we could we could use throughout the entire album. So um, we gave each song a different feel. Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting because I always looked at blues as a living, breathing art form that was, you know, um, driven not by imitation but by innovation. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you look at the the blues guys like you know Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters yeah. and Willie Dixon. You know, they didn't sit down at the coffee table and write a song and then say, ah, oh, I don't know if this is bluesy enough. I don't think they gave a shit, you know? Mm -hmm. um, they just wanted to make good music. And, you know, they just right. happened to be blues, whatever that came out of them, because right. of their experiences. You know, it's, it's yes. still three chords in the truth, you know, no matter right. how you slice it. Um, you want to make a feel good. Yeah. That's, that's the whole point is to make somebody feel good. You know, the music has to be and that 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 was another part of my of my album process was that i actually i wanted the music to have a, almost like this this chugging sound to it like it's like you know how you roll a boat and you know how a boat 
and when everybody's pulling the oars at one time and everybody's digging in that water and it's moving and it's just chugging, I like that feeling. If my music doesn't have, my, all of my music, you'll notice whenever this album releases, all of my music has that same chugging feel. It's like a heartbeat. And it's very important to the, to the music in itself. You know what I mean? It's like my heart, it's my heartbeat. You know, so it's, it's most definitely something special. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about you as a songwriter. Uh, you know, every songwriter has their way of, of getting things going when they sit down to begin that process of writing. What is your mechanism that you use that allows you to tap into the muse? I use, um, the lyrics are very important to me. Now, the music is important as well, but as, as a vocalist, the, the lyrics, if I'm not singing something that means something, like the music can be great. I always focus on the lyrics first. The music can come second. I always focus on what I'm saying, what image am I trying to actually draw with my words. Because as an artist, we are artists. We make music to where you have to draw a picture in somebody's brain. Whenever they're listening to this song, they want to understand what's going on. They don't want to feel like it's scattered all over the place. They don't want to feel like somebody wrote chicken scratch and just and just went into the studio and did it they want it to under they want it to be well understood they want it to be well executed so um i knew in my heart that my lyrics had to be the most powerful punch to everything because that's that's just going to dictate how i sing everything you know so once i once i get the lyrics together i can get the music going and the music kind of just rolls around that it's okay. like a cinnamon roll you know i mean there's layers to it you have your main layer on the inside. That's 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 the it's it's the it's the music. But the words, well, well, it, the the music is more so the the cinnamon, the cinnamon feeling on the inside of a, of a of a cinnamon roll. And then it's like the the actual dough is the music. You know, what I mean, it's like I just, and then I just begin to layer more and more and more, and it's just yeah, and there it is. Okay, well, you know that that's one of the interesting things that I found that you know. Lyrics are a very structured kind of process. You know, you have a story, you have continuity, you have rhyme, you have meter. Um, right. But melody is a little different. Some songwriters like to work off of just a groove. Others mm -hmm. like that cadence of the, of the lyric to kind of dictate where it should go. What is kind right. of your go-to when you go searching for a melody? Um, I try to find something that is very catchy, almost commercial-like. I want something that people are going to be singing whenever they don't know that they're singing it. You know what I mean? They walk around the house and they're cleaning up and they're just singing this song. They're like, man, that is catchy. And they heard it a week ago. You know what I mean? And it's just stuck in their brains forever. Like, I want, it, I want my melodies, I want my the music to be very catchy. I want it to be something that people are like, oh, yeah, I remember that song. So, you know, the, the melody has to be something that's, yeah, it's like, it's like a doorbell chime or like a horn. You recognize your horn by the sound of your car. You recognize the sound of your car almost instantly whenever you know it's your car. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's very important for me to make that, that very catchy, just almost, like I said, commercial-like music. It, it's like, it's not commercial, but it's also at the same time something that you would use in anything. So. All right. You know, a lot of songwriters have embraced technology as as part of their toolkit. 
Uh, uh-huh. You know, whether it's their cell phone to capture ideas or they have a home recording studio or even they use, you know, software like Master Writer or Songwriter's Pad or whatever the case may be. What uh-huh. are some of the tools that you find indispensable when you sit down to begin to write? You know, I really, I, I do keep a lot of voice memos. Voice memos are very important. Uh, part of my music because I forget a lot. I'm making music all the time. Like there is not a moment in my life where I'm not making music. So I have a very, very, very important thing about memorizing and, and keeping things inside of my memories and inside of my my sound recordings. To whenever I get ready to go to the studio or anything like that, I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? Like it's not like. And then it's 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 a blessing to actually know how to play an instrument as well because you could always just play it out. You know what I mean? You could play it for yourself and record it, and then you could have them in the studio work on it. And it's just, it's super easy. That, and um, I use a lot of um, online, like whenever I was in school doing music education, I was learning a lot of online softwares and things to make um, making music a lot easier. Um, like, even especially with my ch- uh, sheet music and, and chord charts and, you know, and transposing and transcribing and stuff like that. It's very important to have some type of software to have whenever it comes down to it because it's, it's, it's a very, very, very good aid to have at all times when it comes to songwriting. It just is. Okay. Especially with technology booming and it's just, and it, it's getting crazy and crazy about a second. There's not one thing that is not updating within the next two, three months. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's 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 a continual thing. So we have to keep it rolling and use what we have, and like you said, be innovative with what we have. Right. So, well, now um, let's talk about that moment where you have to declare the song ready to move into the studio, ready to give to the uh-huh. band, the producer, and and allow them to kind of put their stamp on it. But, you know, you always got to get to that point. What do you do to determine that moment where the song is ready to move to that next phase? Well, I have to listen to it probably about six million times. I make a lot of revisions, you know, as, as any artist does. I feel like any artist that says that they don't make any revisions to their music, I feel like they're most definitely not telling the truth. Um, <laughs> I feel like as an artist, you should be able to revise and 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 see how the goodness in it, but yet see the flaws and know when it's not ready and when it is ready. You know, um, I personally feel like whenever I know it's ready, like I said, I'll be singing it three or four times a day. Nobody knows what it is, but I, that's whenever I feel like it's ready. Whenever I'm like, okay, I can't get it out of my head. I'm ready to go to the studio. And I know what it is in my brain. I can hear it in my brain. I know what all the music is supposed to sound like. Um, I know what, every groove is supposed to feel like and if it if it doesn't feel that way it's like it's off but i know for a fact whenever i finally got that groove and got those lyrics together that it's ready to go okay now let's so. talk about going into the studio you know i find that that's the place where the song gets its identity it gets not only for mm-hmm. the song but also for you as an artist, this is another creative process, you know, when it comes to songwriting. Uh, uh, what do you do when you get into that environment that helps you capture the sound you're looking for? I go in 
to the studio with an open mind to be ready for anything. Um, even if that means me actually changing things from for it to all sound cohesive, I'm willing to make those changes in the studio for sure. That's that's most definitely the drawing board. Like you said, it is the it's it's the moment to to build the um, the identity of the music in itself. It is that that one solid moment, and I do use that moment in every moment inside the studio to capitalize on that and to um, yeah, like I said, revise if need be if need be or. Um, do any of that so yep okay uh now tell me about the lineup on this who's playing so um there are a long list of artists uh that are playing on this from um larry fulcher like i said earlier um he plays the taj mahal and, and ruby foster and then we have wayne goins he is the um jazz professor at kansas state and um He's he's the co-producer as well for the album, so it it you know he he has a big part in this. Um, there is a drummer that played on this. He I grew up with him. He was my mentor, quote unquote. You know, um, his name was Montez Coleman. He passed away um, sometime this past year, and um, that that was kind of that was kind of rough. You know, he he was the the man on the drums. He was he was that guy that everybody knew. You know, so. Uh, this this most definitely goes out to him and Mike Finnegan. You know, I had Mike Finnegan on the album as well. He's part of the, he was a part of the Phantom Blues Band and, and many others. Johnny Lee Shell, uh, he played. You know, you know, I mean, he's he's played for countless amounts of, of, of very well known blues artists. Most of which, I, I mean, like I know a, a large selection of them, but most of which I don't know. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm okay with saying that. That's that's. Um, and then we have. Uh, Kristen Kai, she she sang soprano on the album. She played, she sang for Shaka Khan and, and all these big name artists. And then uh, Maxanne Lewis, she sang um, alto on the album. And she did her thing. She sang uh, uh, the actual vocals for My Rainy's Black Bottom, the, the movie that came out on Netflix. Okay. Um, she, I mean, like I just, the list just goes on and on and on and on. You know, Brian Marquez, he's a St. Louis. Um, artist, but he's a Kansas City native. Um, he played pianos on the work. He played pianos on the album. And uh, who else? I mean, Trueborn from St. Louis. Uh, Paul Niehaus, We recorded it in his studio um, in St. Louis Blue Lotus Studios. Um, I mean, yeah, like I said, the list goes on and on. My stepdad played on the album. He played saxophone. Kyle Turner. Uh, he played saxophone as well. Yo Sublet. He played saxophone on the album as well. Yeah, it, it it can keep going, but like Kingfish, I mean Kriston Kingfish, I can't forget him. That's my guy. That's my brother. You know, uh, Sean McDonald. He's he's younger than me, but has like the, the most heart I've seen in my life from Georgia. Um, that's somebody that I got in contact with through Monte, I mean, not through Montez, but through John Tavius and Marquise. So uh, I mean, like I said, the list goes on and on, but. All of those people are very phenomenal people, and they, yeah, they they made sure that this they came together with me to make sure that this thing was magic, and nice. it was nothing up, nothing less than that. It sounds like you have an all star cast here, so yeah, you yeah. definitely. It's an pretty awesome. Cast. I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty lucky guy. Now let's talk a little bit um, about getting it out there, um, and mm -hmm. you're working with Amy Bratt from Bratt Girl Media. Tell me right. a little bit about that relationship. 
you know, Amy Brad and, and uh, uh, um, Richard Rosenblatt and all of them, they are, have been awesome. This tone has been awesome making sure that this album is being seen and being heard by many people, many people inside the U.S. and many people outside of the U.S. They've been making sure that um, everything has been pristine when it comes to the marketing and making sure that everything's, like, going seamless. And it, is, it has been nothing but, nothing short but glorious. Um, they had me down in Memphis um, for the DMAs doing the, uh, the Vistone showcases. And that experience in itself was awesome. You know what I mean? It was for people to um, get to know me, you know what I mean, and know who I am. And it most definitely was, it was unforgettable. They made all of that happen. Gina McClain, my manager, she's taking care of all of this stuff with them and making sure that everything goes by smooth. So, yeah, it's been pretty awesome. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about the industry. Um mm -hmm. We both know that the elephant in the room here is that the consumer has embraced streaming as, as a way to consume music. And let's mm -hmm. face it, you know, I do it, you know, it's, it's just too convenient. Um, mm -hmm. If I hear about an artist, I can go up on Spotify, I can listen to everything they got, you know, and, and really, yeah. you know, determine whether I like the artist or not. And for the consumer, it's a great deal. Uh, right. But unfortunately because of streaming they no longer look at recorded music as a product to purchase anymore right and, you know it's now a service it's something they mm -hmm. expect to be on their phone and that's really yeah. hurt the the independent artist and the music industry's middle class yes. how are you dealing with this shift in perception by the consumer you know, it, it has been it's been very difficult because I've released a lot of music on streaming platforms and the royalties that we get from that situation they're a little bit none. You know what I mean? And it's, and that's that's unfortunate because it kinda takes the spotlight away from the artist. You know what I mean? It it doesn't give us that moment to shine. I feel like everybody has that same exact that same exact setup to where it's like Okay, well, your music's out on Apple Music, you know what I mean? Like, but I have a lot of people asking me, where can I get a CD? You know what I mean? Like, they want to support me directly. And that's something that's very important. And it's something that I can say that the St. Louis scene has been very, very, very adamant about in the past two, three years since I've been recording this album. I've been making minor uh, um, uh, posts and minor uh, um hints about this album being released soon and, and it hadn't came out yet and they were like okay well where can i get a cd and where can i get see you know where can can we get a vinyl of it and the, people have been asking and i feel like a lot of the times it's because of the fact that they know that it is more of a service now and it feels like people have been obliged like like it feels like we have been obligated to just post it on a on a streaming platform or just post it everywhere and just make sure that it's that it's everywhere so people can hear it Technology has most definitely failed us on that part of things, and I can't say that because it's like, as an artist, it is it is hurtful. You know what I mean? Because we do want that credit, and we don't get that credit because it's everywhere else but where we are. You know what I mean? It's right. everywhere else but where we are, and that's rough. Well, you know, it, I think the, the laws are going to start to change. That's the first thing. I think the Copyright Royalty Board just approved or just uh, won a case in the Supreme Court where they're increasing the uh, 
the royalty rates for songwriters up to 15.1%. I believe yeah. that's what it is now. But that's still not really addressing the problem of this huge... Exactly. It's just putting a Band-Aid over it. It's yeah. just putting a Band-Aid over it. You know, because, I mean, if you really look at it, um, as a rule, um, you know, artists are getting less than, you know, 5% total out of yeah. you know their recorded music and you look at other industries like the sports industry you know of of the millions that they generate they get up between yeah. 40 and 50% of the income yeah. and revenue and what's happening is is that this business model that we are living under right now is not yeah. sustainable we right. can no longer continue to expect you know especially independent artists to go into a studio and spend money. Something, to I mean, yeah, because it's like we're wasting more money than we are. And I mean, like, and it's investing. You know, I mean, it is, and it is investment for sure. Uh, but we we are losing money rapidly, and it's like it's becoming more and more common to be a struggling artist than to just be an artist. Right. That's rough. That's that's not something that I oh, feel yeah, like because we're we're really diminishing the middle class of the music industry. Right. We need to have. Right that middle class that has the resources and the ability to recoup the, yes. the resources that they need to continue to record and create right. music, you know? Right. It is a recycling process, and, and there's nothing being given back, so we can't give anything unless we get back. You know what I mean? Like, it's, 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 it's most definitely a vicious cycle. It's a very vicious cycle when it comes to making music. It's like, you have to be... You have to want to spend little to nothing to gain some money back, or you have to be willing to spend everything you have with little hopes of getting anything back, but still wanting to get your music out there. That's rough. That is that is something that we don't we're not looking forward to doing. And I feel like that's why a lot of artists now are just holding on making music. You know, what I mean, I feel like a lot of artists have been. I mean, as of lately, we have been cultivating music. And, I mean, we have had a full two years to do it. You know what I mean? That's not the problem at all. It's the fact that we don't get the respect that we deserve as an artist. Whenever it comes to, like, the people listening to it and, and actually supporting what we do. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not support at all. It's not. You're just a fan. You know what I mean? As a supporter, you're willing to pay for it. You're willing to pay good money for it at that. But as a fan... You just like to listen to the music, and you don't want to get back. You just want to get music. That's not what we're here for. We're here to give you an experience, but we expect something in return. It's a give and take. It's not a, you know what I mean? It's, it's not just a give, and we just have nothing left to give. And I feel like that's that was a big problem, especially even back then. You know what I mean? I feel like we had all we had to give, and it was just soaked up, and that was it. We never got anything back. It's like a slap to the face, and we turn our cheek, and you slap us on the other side. You know what I mean? That that's, that that doesn't work like that. Yeah, no, I so. agree. Now, you know, there is technology that I see coming down the pike. Um, you know, we, we know everything changes. There is mm -hmm. no behemoth in the music industry that cannot be unseated, and we saw right. that happen with Napster. We saw it happen with iTunes, and yeah. and Spotify is not you know completely um, immune from this in the future 
And what's right. happening is is that there are now streaming platforms like Audius and uh, Emanate that are mm-hmm. based off the blockchain, and they're claiming they're going to be able to pay artists up to ninety um, percent of the incoming ro- incoming revenue. And they're going to pay the artist immediately upon a stream because they're, it's all based on these smart contracts. Right. And the fact that the blockchain decentralized the whole system. In other words, you know, we know the record companies went to Spotify and say, hey, let's work a deal out and give us a bigger share of the pie, which is what they did. There's no company for them to go to because it's a decentralized right. system. So right. basically, it it will even out the playing field. What do you right. think of that technology as being the future of of the industry, the future of streaming? Honestly, I feel like there are a lot of more independent artists coming out. And so I feel like that's going to be a big bonus for the independent artists that are out there. You know what I mean? The people that are looking to just release their music and to get some type of pay from that and you know what i mean and just be taken care of like with every string just be taken care of i feel like that's something that people are going to be looking forward to for sure well yeah and if you really look at it the independent artist is basically supplying the bulk of content for spotify and pandora and all these other uh streaming platforms i mean we supply the bulk of it you know, the, yes. the upper echelon, the upper 3% of the music industry, they don't supply as much as, uh-huh. as the independent artists do. So I think, you know, if we went this way of, of blockchain streaming, it would leave yeah. Spotify in pretty much a wasteland of, you yeah. know, there's nothing here to listen to other than... Unless they just cooperate. Yeah, unless you know what I mean? Cooperate. Unless they cooperate, which is something that could possibly happen. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like, it's, it, 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 people, it, I feel like the streaming platforms are just hungry for money. And I feel like they won't, they won't, they probably won't cooperate. You know what I mean? It's going to be a little difficult to get them on board with that. But I feel like that's something to most definitely look forward to in the future. Okay. Now, um, Let's talk a little bit about this whole world of content creation and social media marketing. One of the mm-hmm. things that I noticed is that when the pandemic hit, a lot of artists started to go on the internet. They started to do live yep. streams from their living rooms mm-hmm. and their porches or their kitchen. Yep. Um, and and the, the fans started to say, hey, wow, this is where they live. This is, this is kind of, it kind of, demystified some of these artists i mean they got to yeah. see that that treadmill that you use to hang your laundry on you know exactly um, it made them more personable well yeah it made them more personable and then some artists started to realize hey we could take this another step further and create yeah. almost a, a reality show kind of mentality in their content where uh-huh. they started to show the things that they did outside of the music industry whether it's yes you know, I know one artist that, you know, likes to hike in the mountains and they would, you know, show pictures and videos of them going up and hiking or singing, you know, into uh-huh. a valley or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. You know, I know another one that does a cooking show with her uh, husband yeah. and they have a line of wines and, you know, and I think the fans 
you know, and if you really think about it logically, over the last 25 years, we as a consuming public have been inundated with reality television mm-hmm. to the point that we actually expect it. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're looking for that. So mm-hmm. as artists, the best way to um, to brand ourselves, which I which yep. I truly believe is the new product, the best way to brand ourselves is to create that content exactly. that engages our fans. Exactly. I mean, like, yeah, because I, mean, I, I think probably from the moment that I started doing social media and really doing my own social media and marketing and stuff, I started to understand what that meant specifically because I didn't understand that at first. I didn't understand why I would need to post about my life for somebody to understand that, you know what I mean? Because I'm a very private, I'm a very private person. I just am. I've, I've, I've been very, I'm a very guarded person, but at the same time, I'm very open and very welcoming. You know, um, it's just, it just depends. But now as I've gotten older, I, I cook and I do a lot of things like that. And you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just, I have a lot more talents than just music. And, um, I'll post, uh, Every holiday, I'll post a picture of the spread that I made for holidays or, or I'll post a, just a, a random bakery item that I made, you know what I mean? And it's just, people love that stuff. They do genuinely love it. And they, they look forward to, to seeing you so they can talk to you about that in person. And they, you know, it, it's, it's something very special whenever you can actually start to connect with somebody through social media in that way. You know, social media hadn't been a whole thing until after COVID started really taking over things. And everybody started going on the main social media streaming platforms like, like uh, 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 TikTok and, and Instagram and Twitter. People started going crazy on those social medias. And, they and you know, Facebook kind of just got left in the dirt. But it just depends on your clientele at the same time. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's all about the clientele that you have. I now, think- most of my... Yeah, I, I don't think Facebook is is really lost its audience. I think it's you need to have a multi-disciplined um, content creation plan mm-hmm. where you you utilize TikTok, you utilize Instagram, you utilize Twitter and Facebook in order to yeah. to reach and and create almost a funnel marketing campaign where you. Right. You drag in the largest swath of people you can at the top of your funnel, yes. and allow them to distill down to that super fan. You yeah, know what I mean, I, I always try to tell um, young artists that to create a sustainable career, all you need to do is to find one thousand fans that will spend one hundred dollars a year on yeah. your art mm-hmm. that's a hundred thousand dollars it is so for sure and if you think about the reach that we have through social media mm-hmm. a thousand fans is not hard to do it's not and getting them to spend a hundred dollars a year that's starbucks money yeah you know so it's yep. it's a, an extremely doable um goal you know what i mean yes it's, it's like the old adage how do you eat an elephant well it's uh-huh. one bite one bite at a time yeah yeah 
So you know. Oh I yeah, think, for sure. You know, I think a lot of artists, if they if they approach things with that mentality, they can become successful. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, like, I've, I've gotten to the point to where I've even, I post goofy, just charming videos, and I've gotten attention from, like, nationwide. You know what I mean? I did a nationwide jingle just for fun during a photo shoot, and that got the attention of the actual company. And I didn't even, you know, I never thought in a million years that they would contact me about it or anything like that, but they wanted me to continue doing more. They wanted to see more of it. And they were becoming, they were actually becoming to the point where they were like, you know what? They actually started to follow my pages, follow my Instagram, follow my Facebook, follow my, you know, and I'm like, okay, I can see how I could draw attention to myself. And I capitalized on that. I start to post funny videos. I'll post a video of me saying, uh, uh, I do inspirational quotes every once in a while. You know, I'll get on Facebook and I'll post the inspirational quote and people will love it. And it's, it, it's those many moments that, that show people that you are more than just an artist that makes people want to come out and see your shows. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's that passion about having just, just life. You know what I mean? Enjoying life. They love seeing you enjoy life. They want to know what you're doing in your off time. And, and it's not anything other than the fact that, like, I mean, pure curiosity. You know what I mean? Like, me growing up, seeing all of the the big name people, I was like, I wonder what they do on their regular day basis. I wonder. I wonder if they stress out before a show like I do. You know what I mean? I wonder if they're, if they're human like me. You know what I mean? And it's something that, that just, the moment that you see it, you start to understand who that person is as a person, as, as, as a real person, and not as a musician, or as a vocalist, or any of that, just as a person. That's the foundation of everything. This understanding that the people that are out here doing this stuff are people, and they and they have lives too, and they want to be invited into them. You know what I mean? And I get that. And I feel like there is a way for a lot of artists and a lot of different people of different genres of music that can capitalize on that. There is a way to, to, for sure to capitalize on that and to make money off of doing it. Like you said, a hundred dollars a year yeah. for a hundred people. For a, a thousand, a thousand fans, you know what I mean? A hundred dollars a year. That is most definitely doable for most of the people because, like like I said, depending on your clientele, you might actually have more people that want to do that. They just don't know how. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's the so. key. You know, I, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking with us. I appreciate you having me. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there an Indie Blues double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn it up loud. Every day I wake, first thing I see, some crazy news always, always on the TV. Before I get out of my bed, can't even find my shoes. It's a brand new day With the same old blues Oh, baby, oh, baby, oh, 
try and use me They don't give a damn If they hurt or abuse me With the lies and the scares Why can't you do unto me As I do unto you It's a brand new day With the same old
has made Some shade of blues is there Blue heavens They're all blue Talking about the, talking about the Talking about the sea and the sky And talking about you artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make. 